0: God does abundantly more than we ask or think. Amen. Yeah, we find that true over and over and over and over again, don't we? He does abundantly more. Amen. All right, uh, I want to do something different. Tonight. We're, we're going to be in Romans chapter one. You're like Thanksgiving, Romans one. Ooh, this is this is rough. <laughs> it's not. It's good. It's good. Romans chapter one, and we're going to be at the end of the chapter here, verses probably about verses. 18 on down to verse 32. You can just find your place there, and uh, and uh, I will get to that here just shortly. I just want to get moving along here. You know, in my uh, illustrious career on the middle school football team, I had the unfortunate disadvantage of weighing less than my equipment. <laughs> I probably weighed 48 pounds. The equipment probably weighed 57 pounds, something like that. And on one occasion, my body weight combined with the weight of my equipment and the sheer physics of momentum produced a consequence that makes me happy that there were no cell phones and no internet in those days. Nothing to record, nothing to post. You know, of these, you ever see these videos that they just laugh at constantly? Yeah, I would have been on one of those. I was, it it was the kickoff, I was running furiously down the field, and uh, I got ever so slightly ahead of myself, just a little bit. And as I leaned forward, I began to realize my helmet was gaining more speed than my feet. You ever been there? Yeah? Yeah. And as I did an absolute face faceplant into the field, my helmet—you know—all that that uh, that guard there, you know, it grabs dirt real good. And I think my heels went over the top of my head the other way. And and as I, I was lying on the ground, I could, you know, you can see your team running for that kickoff return. And uh, I got ahead of myself, and the weight of my equipment that had, it had gathered more momentum than my physical body. And as the weight got further and further and further in front of me, it eventually brought me down. And even though everything started out as well as could be expected from eighth grade football, things got out of sort. And I came to this line of demarcation. Okay, I arrived at a Tipping point. I arrived at a tipping point. And once I got there, there was no return. I wasn't coming back. All right? Let me give you the definition of a tipping point the momentum or factor that causes a situation to gain momentum quickly, the time when a significant or unstoppable change occurs. In physics, A tipping point is when an object becomes unbalanced, and even a, a the slightest force can cause it to topple over. I'm talking about a tipping point tonight, and a tipping point doesn't just help happen in the realm of physics. Uh, this unbalance is really possible in almost every facet of life, in politics, in 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 human emotions, and even in nations and countries. We come to places. Where you get to a tipping point, and you know, I think of a nation that may be headed down a destructive past a path, I should say, a a maybe um, um, headed down a a fiscal road of of where of destruction and a trajectory there, teetering on the edge of prosperity, and 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 they're just kind of going along and going along and just you know beating the wolf off every t- chance they get, and. And then all out of nowhere comes some, some cataclysmic weather event that just just pushes them all the way down and they don't come back from it. I think of, of, of Puerto Rico just recently with some of the hurricanes and they've always been in financial uh, troubles and, and struggles and, and that thing just wiped them out to the point that they needed outside help to get established again. Tipping points. And you know, Once you get to that tipping point, unless there is a massive counter-motion, there's no way to stop the unintended, unintended consequences. There's no way to stop them. Once it's been set in motion, it's going there. And so we see this not only in politics and human emotions, but I said in nations as well. And I think expressly here in Romans, I think about the Roman Empire, and we know uh, we know a little bit about the Roman Empire. Uh, people have spent the last uh, I don't know two thousand years studying the Roman Empire, and here Paul is writing at the towards the end the end of this great empire. Do you realize the Roman Empire existed for a thousand years? A thousand years. The Roman Empire was was the, the major uh, power on the planet. And in the 1st and 2nd century A.D., Rome was known for, for their structures and their buildings. 50,000 miles of roads that the Romans built. 50,000 miles of roads. Aqueducts all over the place. The, a land mass of over 2.2 million square miles. Get this. Over 60 million citizens. Now hold on a minute. I know we have about 300 million in the United States, but in that time, that was one fifth of the world's population. That would be equivalent to 1.6 billion citizens today in one empire. It was massive, and not only that's just the citizens. The people living within the Roman Empire, uh, they said, calculated for about 120 million. Which would be about two uh, what three point two billion people living within the Roman Empire. That's massive. That's incredible. And so, if you remember during our study of the Roman of the seven churches of Asia Minor, outside of Israel, the world had a pretty favorable view of the Roman Empire. After all, they had roads. They opened up commerce. They remember this? They, they kept back robbers and thieves along these roads, and they watched them. They kept pirates out of the ocean. They made it uh, uh, easily and accessible to, to get wealthy and prosperous. They did it. And so the, most of the, the known world was somewhat okay with the Roman Empire. When they came in, you, you had a massive military to protect you, so you could go along in peace. By and large, most of the world, besides Israel, most of the world had no problem with the Roman Empire. It was enjoyed by millions and millions of people. But something happened to Rome. Something happened. And here when Paul writes, we're getting towards the end of the Roman Empire. We're only a couple hundred years away from its total end. And, or well, maybe about 400. I have to add that up really exactly here. But what... but. When I think about the Roman Empire, I think about what Edward Gibbon wrote. He wrote in his book, The Decline and the Fall of the Roman Empire. This was published from 1776 to 1789. For 13 years, this book was published. It was the major go-to for information of the Roman Empire. And he listed five reasons for the fall of the Roman Empire. Some of you have probably heard some of these. Number one, he says the undermining and of the dignity and sanctity of the home which is the basis of human society this is what mr gibbon said was wrong with rome in undermining of the dignity and the sanctity of the home number 2 higher and higher taxes yeah have you heard these jacklegs running for president lately have you heard them no, we just want to raise taxes on the upper upper echelon. Do you know these people that make over a billion a year can pack their toys up and go to another country? And you can't tax them then. <laughs> They're so brilliant. <laughs> higher and higher taxes. The spending of public money for free bread and circuses for the populace. Free college. Free tuition. Free health care. Free this. Free that. You deserve it all. Yeah. It's all the, this sounded familiar, isn't it? I'm not even gotten there yet. I'm just, you, I'm just telling what you, Mr. Gibbons said. Number three, the mad craze for pleasure. Sports becoming every year more exciting. Now, hold on, Saints, 1776, we had just become a nation. All right, becoming more exciting, more brutal, more immoral on the sports scene. You ever watch that? You seen that UFC stuff? These guys that (laughs) brother brother Healy's like, yeah, I like that. These guys like pound their face. I I mean, I know it's. I mean, these guys are highly trained individuals, and they're going into it and they enjoy it, and they like having their 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 you know their their face smashed to the back of their skull. I guess you know. No, we're getting more and more brutal. You know what? I can't understand now. Women are doing this. There's like there is not you would you would never pay me enough to watch some women. Beat each other's face in. It's ridiculous. More immoral. Listen to number four. The building of great armaments when the great enemy was within. Listen to this. The decay of individual responsibility. Wow. Number five. The decay of religion. Fading into a mere form. Losing touch with life losing power to guide the people. This is, this is unbelievable to me. Yeah. So at some point, the Roman Empire got out of balance and there was a tipping point that pushed this empire to the point of no return. And in September of 476 AD, the Western Roman Empire is deemed to have ended. It was no more. It was gone. Now, you realize here in Romans, the Apostle Paul is writing to the Christians at Rome, and we get a very detailed list showing the condition of the society they were living in. Paul, you know, we can hear this from a, from a, a, a historic view from 1776, but listen to what Paul the Apostle says in about, I don't know what, 60-some A.D., who himself a citizen of the Roman Empire... Listen to what he says. Listen to this in, in verses twenty-nine. I'm going to read let's read our text. this will be our text, verse twenty-one through thirty-two. Listen to what Paul says here. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened, professing them to be wise. I'm sorry, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into image like like to corruptible man, and to birds, and to four-footed beasts, and to creeping things. Have you ever seen a time in America where animals were more worshipped? You want to go to prison for a long time? Find a dog and rip all the little puppies out of it and see what happens to you. No, you can do it in an abortion clinic, legal up to the day of birth in some, some states now. But you do that to a dog and watch what happens to you. You will be. You would be worse than Hitler. In the eyes of most of society today. They make they've made God like four footed beasts and creeping things. Wherefore God, verse twenty four, also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts. James one, where this this we were just talking about this last Wednesday. The lust to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie, and worshipped and served the create the creature more than the Creator, who is blessed forever Amen. Look at verse 26. For this cause God gave them up to vile, vile, filthy affections. For even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves the recompense of their error, which was meat, burned in their lust. That's all it is. That is absolutely all. Listen, when you have a society that spends, I don't know how many billion dollars on pornography, and, and human sexuality becomes, becomes uh, it, it, it just becomes, uh, the, the word I'm looking for here, it uh, becomes objectified, when, when, listen, when sexual relationship becomes objectified, it, it no longer it's just objects, of course you're going to go to this. Of course you're moving to animals. Of course you're moving to people of the same gender. Of course it has to go there because you've just objectified something that, is, that God has called holy, and it just messes it all up, and it's pure and total lust. Look at verse 28. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge... God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do things which were not convenient. Listen to this list now. This is the Roman Empire being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventor of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, Covenant breakers without natural affection, implacable and merciful, who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, now, now catch this, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. Do you know there is a time, I, this isn't even my message, but do you know there was a time when the average Christian was against Hollywood, was against this, this list here? That, re- that represents Hollywood because look at this but in, and now we've come to a place where even among Christians they have pleasure in them that do these things That's just as wicked folks I know I listen I, I would I, I am not a, opposed to, to any type some types of entertainment not at all but there's some friend we've drawn a line we've drawn it pretty low lately <laughs> It's amazing what gets allowed anymore. So this is the list that Paul is given here that, that characterizes the Roman Empire in his own day. And Rome succumbed to this. And there is a tipping point in the Roman Empire somewhere where they got here, which eventually brought their ruin. But not only did Rome succumb, but what about America? What about the American empire? We are an empire. Now we're not, uh, we're not imperialistic. We're not like England was and has just uh, gone over and tried to run the whole world. I mean, listen, there, there, is, there, there is some virtue, a little bit of virtue left in America. You know what we do? We have an enemy, we bomb them, then we spend all sorts of millions of dollars building them back up again. And we walk away and we leave them alone. <laughs> no, this is not what uh, imperialism does. So Rome made it a thousand years. You know where we're at right now? We're at two thirty-three. Now, listen. Now, let me give you an example. If if we use a seventy year life, a seventy-year span of time, in lifetime, if Rome was seventy, the United States, you know where we're eighteen years old. We're kids. Sorry about those who are just barely over eighteen, but yeah, kids. Kids. You know, the United States has been in a trajectory for over the last 70 years for total ruin. Some of you remember the school system in the 50s, and you could attest to this. Some of the biggest offenses, and I've heard it said by them that were there, the biggest offenses in the school were running in the hallways and chewing gum. Maybe that sounds a little bit simplistic, but I think that's not far off, is it? Yeah. Anybody remember that? Yeah wasn't that was about it yeah And if you did more than that you got the fire beat out of you <laughs> in class yeah my cousin told me at the school in aurora uh when anybody got whipped they do it over the intercom <laughs> <laughs> he said boy there'd fall this silence over the classroom and I, you know <laughs> yeah it worked it worked and my cousin also said it was amazing the neighbors who knew my parents' phone number that when I got home, they already knew what I had done. <laughs> Running the street somewhere doing something dumb. Yeah, You know what 2019 is marked by in the school system? We know this. Mass shootings, drug ep- epidemic, hypersexuality. No, we've come a long way in 70 years. Yeah. What about our homes? In 1950, there's uh, 2.5 divorces per per 1,000. In 1999, the rate, the rate reached 4.1 per 1,000. Now, hold on. In 2010, that dropped. In, 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 in 1999, there's, there were 1.1 million divorces that year. In 2010, it dropped to 3.6 per 1,000. It's like, oh, wow, this is great. No. Do you realize Georgia, uh, Georgia Louisiana, Hawaii, uh, Minnesota, and California just quit reporting divorces since 1910? I mean, 2010, not 1910. 2010. You know what else is a factor here? You know this as well. Millennials aren't marrying. They're shacking up without an even ten, no watch. 70 years without a thought that it's even wrong. Yeah. Remember that young couple we had come for like three weeks? Te- you know, had a, had a prayer request. You know, they weren't married. Yeah, going in for an ultrasound and like, <gasps> you know? I I didn't know. They they thought not a thing about it. And I just had to realize, you know, they're they living together and she was with a child and they weren't married and they were just as happy as a lark. Yeah, They've come a long way. I'm not that old. That still stuns me. I'm like, maybe I am getting old. I don't know. School system in America, homes in America, our society in America, we've gone from pro- prohibition to the legalization of pot. For medicinal use, Whatever. We've gone from entertainment on a Philco radio. Anybody used to sit around the radio? Is that... Yeah. We've gone from the Philco radio to satellite TV with hundreds of channels. You know, Nielsen does all of these studies and such, this Nielsen company. And back in... I didn't know they were around so long, but I found this. 1950, Nielsen reported that Americans were already watching four and a half hours of TV a day in 1950. That's nothing, you know what? And by 2010, the average American was watching eight hours, 55 minutes of television a day. I't I I'm like, how? how is that possible? <laughs> you know I'm thinking that's longer than some people's work days. And you know what when the internet came along and iPhones and all this you know what it did it only dropped the TV watching about an hour and a half because you know what you do you watch TV with your phone now. <laughs> you, you, you can keep it all going, right? No, our society has changed. Our homes have changed. The school system has changed. Religion in America has changed. By 1960, 63% of the population of the United States was going to church somewhere. 63%. By 2012, they say only about 25% of the population goes three times a week, and only about 40% of the 80, 48% of the population is a member of some type of church somewhere, however they define membership. One report I cited, I noticed found it cited that 25% of Americans do not believe in God. Did you know there is not... there, there is no, You can talk to uh, anthropologists, you can talk to There is not a people group on the planet that do not wor- worship something. They know there's a God. You can find the remotest people group somewhere. They will worship a God. And yet in America, we got 25% now that say, oh, there is no God. Yeah. I don't even have the time to deal with the whole gender mess going on right now. That's unbelievable to me. Children, see that seven-year-old boy that was finally taken away from his mother and given to his dad because his mom wanted him to be a girl? What a, what a beautiful little boy, too. They showed a picture of him with his dad. He had his hair combed over, he had his little shirt on. He was a He was a boy! He was happy as could be. It's like, well, yeah, I'm happy as a boy. I'd be, a, I'd be the ugliest girl you could ever meet. Who would want to do that? Have you ever seen the Bruce Jenner? She's hideous. He's hideous. Yeah, you're way better looking as a guy. No. <laughs> No, America is at a tipping point. This is what I'm getting to. Uh, uh, honestly, I think we're past a tipping point. But, but even if we're not there, we are right there, and our trajectory is the same trajectory as Rome, and we're only at 233 years old. You think we're getting out of this? Rome was there, America was there. When you read this list here in Romans chapter 1, can you please tell me in this list, that Paul wrote, what characteristic does not fit the United States? We could check off every one of them. And it may be possible that we are past a tipping point, but do you know what else gets there? We, we see the Roman Empire, we see the America, but what, what about churches? Churches get there as well, don't they? They come to that place. Churches go bad, saints, don't they? Churches go bad look at, just look at fundamental Baptist churches in America today that have changed over the years they've gone they've changed their doctrine and, and they've gone to Calvinism. Yes they have you can go to Baptist Bible College over here and the master's classes and you can get taught Calvinism 20 years ago. Oh there's wizards of smart they're so intellectual yeah Separation worldliness, carnality. What does that look like in the average church? We look at outreach. And look at soul winning and outreach. We could all do better in that. Music. I don't, I don't want to just... You know what I'm talking about. I don't, I don't need to spend time on this. I don't, even have, I don't have time to start naming... I, I could name, we could name churches. You could name churches. But it is a fact that churches begin to get off balance. They they begin to get off balance and they hit a tipping point where their demise is certain. You know, but churches go bad. You know why churches go bad? Because members go bad. Yeah. You're aware of that. You know why members go bad? Sometimes. Because pastors go bad. Yeah. Yeah, I thought about not putting that one down there. I thought about crossing that one out. Know as a pastor, and those of you who pastor know this. It it is one of the easiest things to do, either in a church or in your own family, to just let people have their way. No, that's the easiest thing in the world. Everybody loves you. Then, yeah, go ahead, go to. Yeah, that's wonderful. Go do that. Yeah, bless God. God bless you. Enjoy that. Great. Yeah. God loves you. Remember, who is that? Shuler, over in your country there, God loves you and so do I. Well, he does. But not how you mean it. <laughs> no, it'd be easy for me to just say, okay, that's fine, Yeah, whatever. I can't. Amen. No, I'd like to. You'd probably like me a little better. Maybe not. No, listen, when the, when the, when the pastor becomes the PR guy, and, and he just doesn't want to rock the boat anymore. That's when God's people really cease being fed and when the church begins to get a little off balance. We just went through Revelation, remember that, in the seven churches? Under the angel of the church, under the angel of the church, under the angel of the church, under the angel of the church. The of the church seven times. That's where it starts, buddy. Yeah. And when that trajectory continues, we'll arrive at a tipping point. So here's the question I have for you. We'll wrap this up. What is the tipping point for the child of God? Is there something that you can put a finger on, that you can circle with a pen or whatever, my left hand, sorry, circle with a pen, okay, that you could say, that's the tipping point right there. That when you get here, you're not coming back. Well, we have here in Paul's letter to the Romans, I think we have the tipping point listed here. And there is a verse that connects, I believe, two parts of chapter 1. In the first part of chapter 1, we have verses 1 through 18. And Paul wants to preach the gospel to the Christians that are there at Rome. He says, he goes through the in these first 18 verses, he knows them because of the faith that they have that's been spoken about through all the world. And Paul goes, I want to go meet these people they are spoken about so highly. He says he already says I've been pre-, that he's been praying for them. He tells them, "Hey, I'm not ashamed of the gospel and God's wrath." He's telling them God's wrath is revealed against those who reject God. And he and he's just he, he's writing to this church in expectation of seeing them face to face and preaching the gospel to them. This is the first part of chapter 1. In the second part of chapter 1, verses 22 through 32, Paul describes what the byproducts of the rejection of God looks like. He's listing what is actually going on in the Roman world. The rejection of God, replacing God with animals, homosexuality, men and women, Uh, and then that list of actions in verses 29 through 32. And, And this is where the Roman population was when Paul wrote the letter. This is the culture the church at Rome was living in, like we are today. We're, are we not living in, in a Roman culture? Yeah. Now watch this, folks. Watch. If, if, the pop, if the pop culture of Rome was here, there was the danger that the church could get there as well. If the, if, the, if the current culture of Rome was already there, there was the danger that church, who was immersed in this culture as well, there is the danger that they could get there as well. And so how do we we keep from this? Where is the tipping point? Look at verse 21. Because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God. So they didn't glorify, they didn't exhibit the attributes of God as God. The attributes of God became animals and things like that. But notice the second thing. Because, they, because that when they knew God, they glorified him not a God. Now here it is. This is the tipping point. Neither were thankful. Neither were thankful. See that? No, that that's, the, the, that's where it tips here. This is the tipping point. You know what the tipping point in your life is? In the, life, in the culture of America, in the culture of the Roman Empire? Thankfulness. Thankfulness. When a society, when a church, when an individual gets to the place where they are no longer thankful, you can be certain they're getting to the place of no return. Thankfulness. Notice the first outcome of of an unthankful person. Neither were thankful. Watch this. But became vain in their imagination. We know that word vain means empty. Imagination means this. Deliberating about what is true. So watch what unthankfulness brought in their life. Their thoughts became empty regarding truth. Their thoughts became empty regarding God. Why did that happen? Because they became unthankful. How did they become unthankful? They had nobody to thank anymore. Because they rejected the giver of everything. We, we were going to get into this in James tonight, but uh, we know in James it says, Every good gift and every perfect gift cometh from above and is sent down from the Father of lights, where there is no variableness, uh, neither shadow of turning. Everything good that you have in your life, everything that we have, is from the hand of God. Amen. And when you reject God, and you say God does not exist, who are you thanking now? Self? The stars? Nope, sorry, he made those. So what happens? They become empty in their thoughts of God, vain. There's an order here. I've noticed this. This is this is the same order. I, I like this. I wrote this down. Verse 21. You have the mind. Look at the end of verse 21. And their foolish heart was darkened. So you have an order here. You have the mind. Their thinking got vain, it went to their heart, darkened their heart, and then in verses 24 through 32, it affected their actions. The mind, the heart, the actions. They rejected the source of everything, and they had no object of thanksgiving. You know what keeps us from getting to where our culture is going what keeps us from getting there is cultivating an attitude of thankfulness to god thankfulness you didn't for, you, did you really think did did you really think that thankfulness was that pivotal look at romans 1 look at the roman empire look at look at the filth and debauchery that they are characterized by On a national level. And it says here they were unthankful. Everything that we are able to do. Is only. Because of our God. End of story. Listen to what Francis Schaeffer said. I'm not endorsing him. But he had a great quote. The beginning of men's rebellion against God. Was and is. The lack of a thankful heart. The beginning of. Of men's rebellion against God. Was and is. The lack of a thankful heart. I'll give you some verses. We'll end with tonight. Philippians 4.6. Be careful for nothing. But in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving. Let your request. Be made known. Unto God. Listen to Revelation 7 and verse 12. Saying amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom. And thanksgiving and honor and power and might be unto our God forever and ever. Amen. Colossians 3.15, And let the peace of God rule in your heart, to the which also you are called in one body, and be ye thankful. That's a command. That is a command. We had a great time of testimonies. I love hearing testimonies and hearing what people are thankful for. I heard somebody ask this question once and I think it's a good question. If God were to take away everything you were not thankful for, how much would you have left? (laughs) I wish I had the quote here by G.K. Chesterton. But he mentioned, uh, I've got it on my phone somewhere, he mentioned, he says, you say grace, that's good. But I say grace, when I sit down, I say grace. When I take out a pen to write, I say grace. He said, it's a, what he was saying is his life is a life of thanksgiving. Everything he does is a life of thanksgiving. You know, unthankfulness has serious consequences. No, it's the tipping point. An unthankful heart and an unthankful... When we get to the place of unthankfulness, it's a tipping point. That leads to a place of no return. There's another consequence here, not of unthankfulness, but there's another consequence of thankfulness. Believer, are you having trouble with covetousness? Start being thankful, and your covetousness will go away. Are you having trouble with deceit and debate and malignity and being a whisperer and a backbiter or being despiteful or proud or boaster or inventor of evil things disobedient to parents you know what you do you know you know how you fix that you know how you get that out of your life start living a life of thankfulness. start going around and just thanking God start enumerating everything in your life that you're thankful for God I'm thankful for this house what this is beautiful thank you God I'm th- I' boy I am you start getting covetous Lord thank you for this car Thank you thank you for this bicycle. Thank you for the skateboard. I don't know how you get around. Thankful, no, an attitude of thank. You know what happens when you get an attitude of thankfulness? The covetousness goes away. Yeah. A backbiter. Lord, thank you for bringing them into my life. They've taught me a lot. They've taught me how not to act. No, no, no. Don't do that. No. No, <laughs> no thankfulness. It, watch. If unthankfulness is the, is, is the product of these things... Thankfulness is the antidote for these things. You know what I think would be helpful to do in our life? You get up in the morning, you read your Bible, and you should be, and you have a nice time alone with the Lord. In your time of prayer time, and you know, it's right to pray for things. We ought to. We've been commanded to. But maybe for a little bit of time as a church, maybe for, I don't know, the rest of your life, maybe you should try turning some things around and instead of saying, Lord, would you help so-and-so? Lord, would you be with the children? Lord, would you do that? Maybe, maybe we should tr- turn things around a little bit and say, God, thank you for the children. Father, thank you for church. Father, I want to thank you this morning for my wife. Father, I want to thank you this morning for my husband. Lord, I want to thank you. Start thanking God. See what it does to your life. See what it does to some of the things that you deal with that you struggle with in the flesh. Hey, we we are told to lay aside every weight that does so easily beset us and run the race that is set before us. You know what we find out every one of every one of you in here. We all have a we all have a weight that does so easily beset us. You know what you do? You find out what that weight is, and the antidote for it is start thanking God for the thing that is that 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 is caused that you may be causing that. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's a bad attitude. Maybe it's a maybe it's a quick temper. Maybe it's maybe it's lust. Maybe it's I don't know. Move to a life of thankfulness, and watch God deal with those things in your life. Are you thankful tonight? Are you thankful? When's the last time He's heard you thank Him? Just take a, just take a clear a spot for a couple for for a fifteen minutes or an hour, and just thank Him. Just go down a list. Maybe it'd be great to go home and just start writing a list of things that we're thankful for, and leave them in our Bible that we can look at them and pull them out and read them, and say, "Oh man, Lord, You're so good." You're so good. You're so good. Yeah. Unmerciful. You know how you get merciful again? Thank God for His mercy. But by His mercies are we not consumed. He delights in mercy. Listen, thankfulness is the tipping point to where if you get to that place of an unthankful attitude and an unthankful heart, I'm telling you, folks, you and your own personal life, me and my personal life, and the life of this church, we can get to a place of no return and get to a place of utter destruction. Don't think it's not possible. Don't ever think, we won't. I won't get there, we won't get there. Some of you have been lo- alive long enough to know how capable your flesh is. And you can tell some younger people, yes, you can get there if you... It's possible. It's possible. Let's have a thankful heart. Let's have a thankful attitude. Let's be thankful to our Heavenly Father, to the Lord Jesus Christ, without whom we have absolutely nothing. Nothing. Let's be thankful this year.